We're going to look in the Bible to the book of Second uh, Chronicles. Second Chronicles, and I have to confess to you that because I normally teach the Bible going through the Kings, I spend less time on the Chronicles than I should, and because they're parallel and they say some of the similar things. But in the Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter twelve, that's where our message is coming from today. The sad but instructive tale of Rehoboam. That's what the title of this message is today. The sad but instructive tale of Rehoboam. When I say tale, I'm not talking about a dog's tale, okay? I'm talking about a story that we can tell about him. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, and it starts out this way. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt the Lubim and the Sukim and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah, who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. Thus, King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. I mentioned to you that this is the sad but instructive tale of Rehoboam. Who was this man, Rehoboam? Well, he was the son of Solomon, the king of Israel, the son of David. 
Solomon was a man who had vast amounts of wealth. He had an enormous power. Uh, he, he really extended the borders of Israel to the widest degree it ever was uh, extended. Uh, and it won't be extended that much uh, again until Jesus comes back. So literally, it's an amazing feat that Solomon had. Solomon was gifted with great wisdom. He wrote the book of Proverbs, or at least most of the Proverbs that we have in the Bible were written by King Solomon. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. So he was a very wise man, but he also had a, a very glaring weakness, and he had too many wives, which actually two would be too many, but he had hundreds and hundreds of wives. These wives that he uh, married, sometimes he did so out of political uh, alliances with other nations. By marrying your family to another nation, then you prevent war. This was the secret to the Habsburg dynasty in the European history, history books. You know that the Habsburgs had somebody on the throne just about on, of every kingdom in Europe at one point. But in Solomon's case, these wives led him astray, and they, he did not insist that they believed in the true God of Israel. And as a result, they were idolaters, or idolatresses, if that's the proper way of saying it. And, this, and even Solomon, late in his life, was, was uh, part of this idolatrous uh, practice by going along with their ceremonies. And God punished Solomon because of this and said, because you have done this, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to someone else or at least part of it. And so he literally prophesied that the kingdom of Israel would be split. And yet God said, but I'm going to have mercy on you so it will not happen in your lifetime. It will happen in the lifetime of your son. Rehoboam. Well, Rehoboam got to be king, and Solomon had gotten rich because God had made him rich, but he also had high taxes. The, the elders of the tribes of Israel came to King Rehoboam, young King Rehoboam, and said, your father taxed us way too harshly, and we would like for you to relieve the burden upon us because it's very difficult upon us. And that made sense. If, if, if the rulers overtax the people, it's too big of a burden. And they were asking for relief. Rehoboam listened to them, but then he listened to his young advisors. And as he listened to their advice, they said, you need to stand up to these, these people and say uh, to them that your little finger is thicker than your father's waist. And that and in fact, that's what he said. And he, he told them, he said, my father, he punished you with whips. I will punish you with scorpions. Uh, not a good way to win friends and influence people, let me let you know. Well, the, the elders of Israel said, what do we have to do with you anymore? And 10 of the tribes and their leadership, they just cut out and they literally left Judah alone. Only the God-fearing in those tribes remained loyal to the kingdom of Judah in the south. So the kingdom of Israel was split in half into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was led by one of the former officials of King Solomon named Jeroboam. And of course, Rehoboam 
was the one who was in control in the South. Rehoboam tried to launch a war to bring back the Northern Kingdom by force, but God said, no, this is from me, and God stopped this. Uh, but the Northern Kingdom, sensing that there would be weakness with King Rehoboam, they also tried to be aggressive against Rehoboam, and God resisted them and gave victory to the, the kingdom of Judah. Now, all this was going on within a short period of time. It was a very dangerous time, and it was a hard time, but it was not what I would call a good time to be the ruler of Israel, because if you were the ruler in those days, you had a lot of problems, that's for sure, and those problems were life and death. When we get to the point to where we're talking here, we find out that not only is Rehoboam having problems with the northern tribes and having civil wars, but he also has a problem with a foreign nation known as Egypt. Now, the Egyptians were very powerful, and they were rising on the rise at this time. And it was true that in Rehoboam's case, he had a real threat with Egypt. But he had a bigger problem because the biggest enemy that Rehoboam had was not the Egyptians. It, it certainly was not the northern tribes. The biggest problem for Rehoboam was that he had made God his enemy. And if you make God your enemy, it doesn't matter who your friend is. And that's a big problem. And we need to always remember that God wants us to always keep him first and seek him with all of our hearts. And if you read the story along with me, you see that when king, the king of Egypt showed up, he did so because it says that Rehoboam in chapter 12, verse 1, had forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. So that nobody, there was hardly anyone who were loyal to the Lord. They had forsaken the Lord, so God said, fine, I'll teach you a lesson, and that's what's going to happen. And they get humbled by the Egyptians, which was uh, a very hard thing. Humility sometimes hits you very hard. I remember a story that I read about a married couple, and uh, it was uh, a man who was very well off. He had inherited money from his father. He had inherited a a lot of money. And one day the man just kind of felt kind of down. He wasn't sure about his wife. And he said, did you marry me because my father left me a fortune? You know, he just asked the question straight up. Well, she reassured him, honey, I, I would have married you no matter who had left you a fortune. <laughs> So in your life, we often are, are defined by what we're given in life, by what we're given, uh, and people think we are defined that way. We could have said to Rehoboam, well, he was given the entire nation of Israel, and he was the king. He certainly was given a lot, but in his life, he lost a lot because of his own disobedience to the Lord. One thing we know about the Lord is that the Lord is very merciful. He won't punish a child for the father's sins, but oftentimes the messes the fathers make have to be cleaned up by the children. 
And in Rehoboam's case, he was given a mess. He was given an opportunity to get out of it, but he failed in that mission. And so he faced this horrible, horrible disaster. So the king of Egypt is threatening him, surrounding him with armies. And when Rehoboam started, he had great treasures. He had the gold shields that his father had. And remember, his father was very wealthy, the wealthiest man in the world. And he had beautiful and amazing amounts of things in the temple of the Lord. All that was there for Israel, but it's going to be taken away. It's going to be taken away because God is going to let the Egyptians take over. In our own day, we live in fear. There's all kinds of fear. And I would say to you that people fear many things. Think about the things that we are afraid of. We are afraid of sickness and pain. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to have anything bad happen to us. We don't want the doctor to say, you've got whatever it is that's bad. So sickness and pain, people fear and live even to this day in fright over sickness and pain. Also, people fear death. People just don't want to die. People want to live, and that's a natural desire to live. Who wants to die? Most of us have a natural programming that God puts in us to live. And in fact, when we studied our Sunday school lesson today, when we discovered about the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he was torn between going to heaven and staying on earth because he would rather go to heaven, frankly, but he wanted to stay to help people. And I think that's our attitude should be that we should want to live as long as we can help people in the best way possible and then let God take care of everything because we're in his hands. And truly, we should not fear death because God has conquered death. Jesus literally has overcome death, and we are promised to also live with him forever. But we do fear sickness and pain. We do fear death. I think also in life, people fear rejection. Uh, That's a huge motivator, especially in young people, but to another degree by adults. I think we don't want to be unacceptable. We want to be people who are acceptable. We want to be people who are included, not people who are excluded. And when we live in this world, when we are rejected, you'll be surprised how many things we avoid just so we can avoid rejection. It's a very painful psychological wound. In fact, some people never heal from rejections they had when they were children. And I think that psychologists in particular have hurt many, many souls over the years. I'm not a psychologist, but I do know a little bit about the Bible. And I do know from a lifetime study of human beings that if we put a burden on people that's too great, they can't bear it. And I know too many people that have gone to the Oprah School of Psychology in which they interview people and they bring out all the dirty laundry that ever happened to that person in their childhood. You know what I'm talking about. It's on TV today if you want to find it. And, and people obsess on how they were victimized by something in their lives. 
could be many things. Now, it certainly is wrong for children to have anything that have wrong done to them, but also we talk about children being bullied by other children. Uh, I don't know about you, but I remember how rough it was in my childhood because you know that kids are mean to each other. Brothers are mean to sisters. Sisters are mean to brothers. Even in school age, children, they're mean to one another. Meanness is right there in their hearts. So unlike mature adults, they'll say the first thing that comes to mind, and if it's ugly, it'll be ugly, and it'll be hurtful. So why I am, I, I am critical of modern psychology is that they present these not phobias, but they present these conditions in, and, and place them on these people to where they're victims for life. And because of that, they say they're scarred for life. They're not scarred for life. If they were scarred for life, they would be healed. I was proud of the scars as a kid that I got when I had an accident. I mean, literally, I had a bike accident one time where I scarred my hand, and I still can barely see it. I ripped my uh, arm on a uh, uh, barbed wire. I got that scar to this day. I, I was so proud of that scar because it didn't hurt anymore. It's over. That's a past pain. It's gone. I healed. I would have been maybe better off not to have had it, but once you have it, I have healed. And that's why I think that modern psychology, instead of saying to people that they're scarred for life in a negative sense, they are reopening the wounds and they are going to live in that pain like scratching a sore that never goes away. Now folks, God is not doing that to you. God is the great physician. He will heal you. I don't care what people have done to you. You are not permanently victimized because what anybody or anything has done to you. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are more than conquerors. We can overcome anything with God's help. But you don't understand how bad it was. That's true. I absolutely don't understand, but I know who does, and that is God. And God loves us. He is merciful to us, and he wants to heal wounds. And when we are healed, we may have a scar. That is true. But instead of being hurt by that scar, you should be healed, and it should be a healed scar. And it should be something that you can help other people and say, you know what, had the same thing happen to me, but guess what? God healed me, and I can wear it as a badge of honor. No shame. I have Jesus, and he has made me a conqueror no matter what has happened to me in my past. That's the good news of the Lord, and I don't think that's taught very much in today's society. I think today's society tries to instill bitterness in the hearts of people, turning us against each other, turning the hearts of fathers against their children and the hearts of children against their father, that fathers, and that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we should have a good relationship between fathers and sons. And that relationship needs to be built up. And we need to show mutual respect for our parents. And so mothers and daughters, 
Fathers and sons need to work together to have harmony as best as possible. So we don't need to be victimized by the world. And if we are rejected, don't be afraid of it because God knows a little bit about rejection. Seems like to me his own people sent him up that hill to die on a cross. That's rejection. We also fear not only sickness and pain, death, rejection. I think people fear financial ruin. Especially as men, we, we, don't, we often get our worth out of our jobs. So if we feel like we're not earning enough or the bills are too much, it's really hard psychologically on men because uh, we get our worth by earning a living. And if our living is not what we'd want, we feel down. Financial ruin is a huge problem, uh, a fear that causes almost anybody to be afraid or at least be worried. Uh, there's been many times when there's too much month at the end of the money, if you know what I'm talking about. And God wants us, though, to not be afraid of financial ruin. If we are afraid, then we're not living in the faith that he wants for us. Uh, and I want us today to start, start living lives free of these natural fears. Now, I've, I've feared every one of these. And you have too. I, I have had moments in my life, maybe more than just moments, where I've been worried about something, of, if not all four of these. But I don't think that's what God wants me to do. I think God wants me to not be afraid. He wants me to live without fear, but with faith in him and trusting him. And that's what he wants for all of us. So what happened in the case when the king of Egypt attacked poor old Rehoboam. Well, we know that the king was ready to wipe them out. They were about ready to lose everything. They were going to be taken away as slaves. But you'll notice that in verse number five, God sent a prophet to the king of Israel, Shemaiah. There's not a book in the Bible named after him, but he was a prophet of the Lord. And he came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. Now Shishak could not do what God did not allow. And that's the point. He says, I'm doing this because you forsook me. So I'm going to put you into his hands. To his credit, and Rehoboam did very little right in his life, but to his credit, he did something right here. And not only he, but the leaders of Israel did. Because sometimes God brings disaster or the threat of disaster upon us for a reason. And in this case, God brought the threat of disaster on them to get them to do exactly what they did. They humbled themselves. Look at how they responded. They humbled themselves. I love the fact that the Bible does not go into great details about what they did, because it doesn't matter. They humbled themselves, and they said, the Lord is righteous. Wow, that's a pretty simple fix for things, isn't it? I mean, he, they really did. They humbled themselves. I don't know what they did, Maybe they got on their knees. Maybe they prayed. Who knows? But 
Instead of saying to this prophet, we don't like what you're saying, we're going to take you off our platforms, our social platforms. We're going to censor you because we don't want to listen to you. Instead, they listened. <laughs> they listened to what the prophet of the Lord said, and they humbled themselves. Wow, I, I think that's great if all of our leaders would do that. If we would just humble ourselves before God. What does it take to humble ourselves? Well, it's, it's all wrapped up in what they said. The Lord is righteous. In other words, we're not righteous, but you certainly are, Lord, and you're right, we're wrong. That's usually what it means. You're right, we're wrong. And I'm sure they ask God to forgive them. Now, humility is a great thing because if we are humble before God, suddenly things start changing in a good direction for us. I'm telling you folks, it works. If you are humble, good things can happen for you. And that's exactly what's gonna happen here. Because they humbled themselves before God, in verse seven, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them. So they did not completely get wiped off the face of the earth. But I will grant them some deliverance. So the Lord here is going to give them a little bit of the fruits of their labor so they can enjoy what they have chosen. Uh, they have some natural negative consequences but they're not gonna be completely wiped away. Sometimes that happens with us. We uh, make bad decisions, and in those decisions, we ask God to forgive us, and he may forgive us, but he doesn't make it easy for us. <laughs> we might still have it a hard road, but at least we survive. And there's been many times in my life when I am happy to have any road of escape, even if it's a hard one, even if it's not as good as I originally wanted, because God's still merciful, and he did take away the biggest punishment here. But he said, my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. So God basically says, I'm gonna let him take some of your things, he's gonna make it a little miserable for you, but you'll learn a lesson, and at least you won't die. I will not completely destroy you. Nevertheless, they will be his servants. Look in verse number eight that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. And there's a little hidden wisdom there with the Lord. And that hid, hidden wisdom is this. You're going to serve somebody. Now think about that for a moment. You will serve. If you don't serve the Lord, you're going to serve somebody. Now let that sink in for a moment. We're not these creatures who live in a vacuum in which we can just live independently of God and expect good things to happen. No, we will serve somebody. It may be our passions. It may be uh, the expectations of other people. How many people live their lives based upon what other people think of them? You know there's a lot of those people in this world. You will serve somebody. But is it the Lord that you're serving? Some people avoid the Lord. They think that God's going to be too hard on them. That's why they avoid the Lord. They avoid the Lord because they think, oh, he's going to demand too much of me. Well, yes, he will demand everything. But you'll find that 
you already are demanded everything in life. This world is a very cruel taskmaster. This world, if you serve it, will, will have you trying to meet the expectations of strangers and will have you trying to live a life that is not even true or real and try to, to meet goals that can never be met, satisfy longings that can never be satisfied. That's what serving the, Lord, uh, the world is all about. And when the Lord here says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you serve Shishak. In other words, they had to pay him off. The only way they could get out of this is they had to pay him tribute. So not only did they pay the taxes to the king of Judah, then they had to pay the taxes again to the king of Egypt. They got double taxed. Not good. Now they were alive and they were happy, but... God wanted them to say, see, when you served me, you didn't have the extra payments. <laughs> you didn't have to pay the penalties. But when you serve yourself and other things, you get a lot of negative consequences. And that was the lesson he was teaching them. He did not raise up Egypt because they were good. He just raised them up because the people of God were bad. And that's what happens oftentimes. When we are not doing what we need to do, then God raises up some foreign powers to take us over. That happens in our lives. So what should we do? Well, if you go on down here, Rehoboam, after they took away all the gold shields, he had to start settling for, he had to, 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 to settle for something a little bit less expensive. He made bronze shields in place of gold. Now, last time I checked, bronze is far cheaper than gold. So I think that is true. And, and he had to settle for a lifestyle that wasn't what it was before. And that's what ha those are the negative consequences of sin. Uh, but when he had humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him in verse 12, so as not to destroy him completely, and things also went well in Judah. So God did not allow Rehoboam to die uh, as a result of an invasion. He did live out his term such as it was, but he wasn't the best king. He wasn't somebody who you would say, hey, we need to follow his example. Well, if you're so bad that you have to follow his example, that's pretty sad, actually. But it's better than nothing. Why did Rehoboam do evil? Look in verse 14. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And there's a solution. He didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Why do people do evil? They don't prepare their hearts to seek the Lord. Think about the people today that are going to spend many hours scrolling on their, their phones or surfing their television channels. What are you looking for? Oh, I don't know. I'm just looking. <laughs> I'm just looking. They're seeking. People are seeking all the time. But have we prepared our hearts to seek the Lord with the same intensity, with the same priority? <laughs> seeking the Lord is a priority Rehoboam made a fatal mistake of not preparing his heart to say, I'm going to seek the Lord. You know, why does the Bible teach us to seek the Lord? He really wants us to seek him because he wants us to understand that we need him and that he doesn't make himself apparent 
He's invisible. So he wants us to look for him and to seek him. All through the Bible, God rewarded people who sought after the Lord. Well, you gotta work hard to seek after the Lord. How can we prepare our hearts to seek for the Lord? I think we should look for four things in particular. We should look for his person. We just need to spend time with him. Just, just, just seek him alone. Not for what he can do only, but just, just be with him. Yeah, I know that when you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. Spend time with the Lord. Seek his person. Just brag on him and say, Lord, I've just wasted so much time. I need you. Just, just want to spend time with God. So you want to look for his person. You also want to look for his wisdom because I'm not smart enough and neither are you in, do, in facing all the complex problems that we have in this world. I can't solve them all. and You can't either. But his wisdom can help me solve the ones that I have in front of me. And I need to know those wise directions. I need it every day. If I don't have it, I'm going to be in trouble. Like the man who went into the Walmart with his wife. He went in there and he went by the beer aisle and he, he put the 24 uh, cans of beer in, in the, in the, uh, the rolly cart and uh, the wife got mad at him. What are you doing? You're going to spend that money on that beer. He, uh, he said, well, it's 24 for $10. It's quite a deal. So he put it up. The wife goes to the makeup aisle and gets uh, $20 of makeup. He says, why are you spending $20 on the makeup? She said, well, I'm doing it for you so I will look better. He said, well, I was saving $10 doing the same thing. Now, that's spoken from a man who's never drank beer in his life, but the next thing that happened in the Walmart was an announcement over the intercom, men down in aisle three. We need wisdom, folks. We should not seek only his person or his wisdom. We should seek for his protection. Hey, if Rehoboam had sought for his protection in the beginning, they wouldn't have gotten attacked. So we need his protection, don't we? We need protection. Trust the Lord. And finally, we need his provision. We need him to provide for us so we don't have to worry about somebody taking all of our goodies. Let's just thank God for his provision. You know, I've always wondered if Rehoboam had sought the Lord completely, maybe God would have given him the gold shields back. But he, 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 I didn't get the idea that he was really wanting God completely. He just wanted a little bit of him. So he got a little bit of benefit back. That's the idea I get for Rehoboam. But God is not poor. <laughs> He's not poor. He can give us whatever he wants to give us. He's not limited. We are limited. He is not. So we need to seek his provision. So if we will prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, let's look for his person, let's look for his wisdom, let's look for his protection, and let's look for his provision and see if he does it. Because I believe God's going to do it. He'll provide for us. And we live in dangerous times. We got people who have survived COVID. We got people uh, in the world that are dying of diseases like COVID and others. 
But I will tell you this, God's going to provide for us one way or the other. It's a win-win for us as Christians. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your power to provide for us. Forgive us, Lord, for not seeking you and forgive our nation for being like the people of Judah back in the day when they faced their enemies. Would you please give us grace and wisdom so that we would honor Jesus Christ as we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.